Revelation 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly, but the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to the destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only a little while. And for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seventh, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they, are, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they are the beast... They and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Let's pray. Let's pray because uh, this is obviously a wild text, right? I need the Lord's help. Uh, and uh, I know that many of you are going through uh, a lot. And I also know that, um, uh, as, as uh, many of you do, I'm sure that uh, there was actually a uh, church shooting uh, in Laguna Woods uh, earlier today at Geneva Presbyterian right off of El Toro Road. Um, and so... I would just love to pray for them, uh, too. So if you bow your heads with me, and we'll, we'll pray. Father in heaven, uh, God, we, we, come, we come before you just in great need of your grace. Some of us, uh, myself included, just in great need of your, your strength. We pray for our brothers and sisters at, at Geneva Presbyterian uh, and this, this tragedy that fell uh, on their congregation uh, earlier today. And, um, God, I just can't even imagine the sort of uh, pain and, 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 and doubts and um, just hardship that they must be 
going through right now. And so, um, God, would you just keep them safe? Would you cover them, uh, just immerse them with a great sense of peace in the middle of this suffering? And would you, God, just help us as we, as we turn to your word for, for help, for guidance, for a vision, a clear vision of a biblical vision of, of what it is that, that you have not only called us to, but, um, but a description of who you are as our God. Lord, where else do we have to turn but to you? And so we turn to you now. Ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, uh, just, just in case anybody's wondering, uh, it sounds like, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know if this has been verified yet or not, but just a quick Google search, uh, it, it sounds like uh, that, that shooting that happened earlier today uh, was, was more uh, the result of a domestic dispute uh, over uh, a home renovation project, uh, which is on the one hand, like, just really, really just stupid, um, and on the other hand, like, really tragic. Um, but uh, I, I want to I want to share that just so you don't think like somebody's like going around churches and you know um, causing a mess. Uh, it might also be helpful for you to know uh, that we do um, have a uh, security team and and measures uh, multiple people typically on a Sunday uh, who carry and are trained and uh, we do uh, value you know like your safety and safety of our, our children. Uh, and so if you didn't know, uh, now you know. Um, <clears throat> so um, it's good to be back with you guys uh, with, as you could tell, like probably like 85, 90% of my voice back. Um, I, I read uh, an article this week. Uh, it, was, it was about writing, uh, but it said like uh, finding your voice. And I'm like, man, I wish it was that easy. Right? Uh, but this, is, this has been more brutal for me the last couple weeks. Um, but we are back. Now, in our, our teaching series in the wild book of Revelation, uh, we're in the home stretch now, coming towards the end of Revelation, sort of winding things down there. And, and if you heard from our scripture reading, uh, you know, you got to talk about a prostitute, about a beast. Uh, this, is a, this is a fun text, right? We're going to have a fun time this afternoon. And so uh, let's just say like, we're, we're glad that we have kids here right now because this is going to be sort of PG, right, with some of the stuff we're talking about. Uh, but uh, you already knew that things were kind of crazy and wild in Revelation, but, but things are about to get even wilder. And in the next three chapters, the final chapters of Revelation uh, are all about the final destruction of God's enemies, uh, and namely the spiritual forces that have been at work uh, sort of behind the scene. If you remember back in Revelation 12, we talked about the reality that in addition to just the, the evil and injustices that we see around in our broken world, there are also sort of spiritual forces at work uh, behind the scenes, behind the curtain. And, and John, the writer of Revelation, he, he kind of again and again has been uh, sort of like pulling back the Scooby-Doo mask, right, to, to reveal that uh, the one pulling all the strings 
behind the suffering, particularly the suffering against God's people, is, is Satan, uh, who's described as a red dragon and his beasts. And it's not that Satan's a literal red dragon. John uses imagery often to, to help us get, get a sense and a feeling of, of how crazy and nasty and terrifying spiritual force verses can, can, can be. And I want you to remember what the goal of apocalyptic literature is. And that's what Revelation is. Uh, the, the book of Revelation, literally in the original Greek, is apocalypsis. And the goal of apocalyptic literature is to, is to reveal, to show us what is truly going on. To, sh- to show us, to display what's really going on, to help us see things that are more real and truer than, than what we can see and touch. And so together, what we'll see is that the prostitute and this scarlet beast comprise the world that we live in and the allure and seduction of things in this world that, that tend to draw us away from Christ. And this passage is really a zooming in on what we saw last time uh, when we were looking at the bowls of wrath. At the end of chapter 16, verse 19, it says, God remembered Babylon the Great, uh, which is a depiction of those evil spiritual forces. And he said uh, he remembered Babylon to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. So the good news at the end of chapter 16 is that all these spiritual forces that are at work, man, they're, they're, they're going to they're gonna get theirs. They're going to receive the fury of God's wrath. And now in chapter 17, uh, uh, John sort of rewinds a little bit, like, right, and, and focuses in on that one verse and teases out what's in that verse in an entire chapter. What we've seen is that God's enemies who deserve to be destroyed, they get pleaded to again and again. God's not this just like vindictive, vindictive ruler that's just seeking out to destroy uh, his enemies. No, it, what we see throughout Revelation, he's been pleading to his enemies, right? He pleads to them again and again. He wants them to turn to him. He wants them to know his love. So he pleads to them and that if they don't turn to him, that there will be no hope for them. And meanwhile, what we've also seen is that God's children, they offer suffer at the hands of those enemies. But the key to faithfulness is this, that even while God's enemies reject the love of Christ and while God's people suffer because of their love of Christ, Christ and his church are still victorious. Christ's and his church are still standing. And look, it might not look like it, and it might not feel like it right now, but one day justice will fall completely. Evil will be destroyed, and the faithful, the faithful in Christ will be vindicated, all because of what happened on that first Easter day, Jesus rose from the grave. So that's where this whole story is heading. That is where human history is heading to the day when all that is broken and fallen and evil will end and all that is true, good and beautiful, all that is lovely will forever exist under God's perfect reign in the new heavens and the new earth. There's an old church father, an early theologian by the name of Augustine from the fourth century, and he wrote this book called The City of God. It's one of the works that he's primarily known for, and and that, that book is based on this chapter, Revelation 17. 
And in it, Augustine paints this picture. He splits the world into, into two different cities, the city of God on the one hand and the city of man. And the two cities, they stand in contrast with one another. One represents all of God's people, the church, and the other represents everyone else and the evil spiritual forces that have been laboring against God's people. And, and Augustine says, you and I are, are citizens of one of these two cities. He says, at the end of the day, you and I are, are citizens of one of these two cities. You're not neutral in all this. You're on a side you might not be thinking like it. You might not be acting like it. But the truth is, you are on a side. You belong to one of these cities. There's, there's no Sweden here where you get to, to choose to be neutral. And so Jesus is saying, hey, look, you're either a city of Zion, the city of God, the new Jerusalem, or a city of Babylon, the city of the world, the city of man. And for all of us, Regardless of where it is that you find yourself in history, regardless of where you live, where you work, where you move to, these are your two options. These are our two cities. And you and I need to be mindful of where it is that we're building our home, where it is that we're living out our citizenship. It forces us to ask the question, toward which city is your heart oriented? Is it the city of Babylon? Or is it the holy city of the New Jerusalem? Is it oriented towards the prostitute of the beast or to the bride of Christ? That's our main idea that we want to press into this afternoon. The main idea is this, is that you and I, uh, you're living for one of two cities, the city of God or the city of man, Babylon. One leads to a life better than you could ever dream, and the other leads to a destruction worse than you could ever dread. And so to illustrate this, the Holy Spirit inspiring through this, this, the scriptures, through the Apostle John, he, he paints this vivid picture in chapter 17 of a woman and a beast who together represents Babylon. Read verse one and two with me. It says, then one of the seven angels, he's talking about the seven angels we saw in chapter 16 with the bowls of wrath. One of those seven angels who had the seven bowls came to, uh, came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who's seated on many waters, seated on many waters. In other words, like, like she's everywhere, right? Verse two, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality, the dwellers on earth have become, have become drunk, it's crazy imagery, right? Crazy description here. It's, it, 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 we're to look at this as sort of like our modern day, like political cartoon. We got whole movements that are depicted as like a giant elephant or a giant donkey. You got these people, people who are depicted uh, as with oversized features, like caricatures. Flannery O'Connell, the novelist, she would use these bizarre characters in her stories. And, and she was once asked in an interview uh, why she included such strange characters in her uh, novels. And her response was, she said, for the near blind, you kind of have to draw large, very simple caricatures. You see, the prostitute of Revelation 17 is, is like that. It's a large 
but simple, easy to understand caricature that can bring an awareness to us that's not easy to forget once you spend time in this chapter. It gives us an awareness of the seductive presence of those things that try to pull us away from our God. That's why it talks about how she gets people drunk on sexual immorality. It's not, it's not that, it's not that uh, there's a focus here on sexual sin, but, but actually this is supposed to be an image of how things that turn us away from Christ are alluring like lust and temptation. And when we indulge and turn our eyes away from Christ, we're suddenly not able to think clearly about the things that truly matter. Our ability to reason gets cloud, cloudy. You're not sober-minded anymore. It's kind of like being drunk. And he continues in verse 3. He says, then he, and he, that the angel, he, he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, a desert. And I saw a woman seated on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads. The beast had seven heads and ten horns. And so the city of Babylon here, uh, the city of man is pictured as a woman, which is the word used in verse, uh, or the word used here, but she's described as a prostitute in verse 1. And she's sitting on top of this giant demonic beast with seven heads, ten horns, this beast that came up from the depths of the sea. This is the same beast we saw back in chapter 13. It's like this jacked up perversion of beauty in the beast, right? And if you're, if you're new to this stuff, if you're like reading this, this chapter and you're like, I didn't know this kind of stuff was in the Bible, right? Like you might be thinking like, you guys actually believe this stuff? Like you people are crazy right? with all these crazy images. But just to be clear, we do not think that history is going to end with an actual woman riding this giant monster like something out of Avatar, right? But we do believe, we do believe in what's behind that image, this graphic depiction is given to us to help us. It's a way of getting us to feel something in our bones. So here's the first point I want you to walk away with. Number one, I want you to be aware of Babylon's influence throughout the ages. Be aware of Babylon's influence throughout the ages. It continues in verse 3 when he says, he, the angel, carried me away in the spirit of a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and, and ten horns. Uh, so just we're going to focus in on that verse again. Now this is the beast that we saw from an earlier chapter. Remember, it also had seven heads, also had ten horns. The point is for you to understand that this thing's nasty. It's ugly. And in one of the forces, it's one of the forces at work to destroy the faith of God, of, God and his, of God's people throughout history. Chapter 17 continues in verse 4, and it says, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. In other words, she looks fancy. Right? She looks fancy. She looks fine. Right? She looks like a good time. She's got these pearls and gold. She promises things like economic prosperity and worldly comforts and satisfaction, the promise of the good life. And then he says in verse 5, and on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. 
Now, what's the significance of writing on the forehead? You guys remember what writing on the forehead symbolizes? We, we've seen that elsewhere in Revelation. When you see writing on the forehead, what, what it's talking about is, is, is your ideology. It's how our enemy and his demons get into your life. He gets into your thought life, what you believe, what you give your imagination to, anything in your thought life that, that gets elevated to the place of God, to what defines you and gives you your sense of self. The things that you will grant authority to tell you who you are and where to find meaning in life. When, it's based, when those things are based on a lie, then you have on your forehead, symbolically, you have what's called the mark of the beast written on your forehead and on your arm. Which, again, mark of the beast is not some barcode tattoo that you get on your forehead. No, this is a symbol. All right? And it says that, that this, this, this woman, she has a couple names written on her forehead. First, the first name is Babylon the Great. So this is where we learn that this woman represents the city of Babylon, the spirit of the city of Babylon. Now, remember, if you want a pro tip on understanding the book of Revelation, you have to view it through the lens of other scriptures, right? There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a modern, somewhat modern way of looking at Revelation that became popularized in the last couple centuries where when you're looking at this book, you try and interpret it according to whatever world events are going on at that time, right? That's where you had like World War I, like, oh, this is the apocalypse, right? Okay, no, it wasn't. World War II, oh, this is the apocalypse. Okay, no, it wasn't, right? And like, that's why you have people now calling the vaccine the mark of the beast and crazy things like that, right? It's because of misreading of the book of Revelation. But you have to view it through the lens of the other scriptures. We've said that if, if you want to know what Revelation is telling us, you got to understand that it could never mean for us what it never meant for its original audience. And so we got to ask, how would the first recipients have interpreted this? Many of John's original recipients of these writings were familiar with the Old Testament. And early in the Old Testament, the spirit of Babylon first emerges as a stereotypical act of rebellion in the heart of mankind. In Genesis 11, it says that the people got together and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Speaking of the Tower of Babel, which, by the way, is where Babylon comes from. And that sums it all up. That sums it all up. They wanted to make a name for themselves. Babel means confused. Babylon means confused. It gives us a snapshot of what mankind has been trying to do ever since the beginning of time, which is build his own way to God, his own way to rightness, his own way to righteousness. The other name written on her forehead is mother of prostitutes and abominations of earth. Now, now, now that, that phrase is a key phrase to helping us understand this whole scene. All right, mother of prostitutes is a way of saying she's a mother of other Babylons. All right, so it suggests that whatever Babylon John and first century Christians were facing back then wouldn't be the last Babylon. There could be more and more to come. So that means that you can wake up at any morning in history and find yourself living in Babylon. And I think if we're honest, 
You'll kind of see that at play around us. It continues in verse six. And he says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. You remember from previous pastors that this beast is hell-bent in the fullest sense of that word on destroying God's people. Here it says she's, she's drunk not with wine but with blood. It's like an evil, wicked parody of the Lord's Supper. She's drunk with the blood of the saints and the witnesses and martyrs of Jesus. In other words, she gets a rise out of causing God's people to either suffer and die in this world or to turn away from God altogether. And she makes following Jesus hard because of it. She makes following Jesus unpopular because of it. And just as she was at work back then, she's at work right now. Again, if you have eyes to see it, you'll notice that at work all around us. And what we see is that this, this prostitute, this woman, is a metaphor of the city of Babylon or the city of mankind, that whatever it is that humans can build up or turn to in rebellion of God, whatever way of life we can find that seeks truth, goodness, joy, satisfaction, anywhere outside of the city of God, instead of submitting to the king of kings, this woman demands our submission to her. That's the picture we're supposed to get. Next thing we need to see and walk away with is, man, I want you to be alert of Babylon's alluring beauty. Point number two, be alert of Babylon's alluring beauty. We see this in verse six as, as, as verse six continues. And he says, John says, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. And in the original Greek there, that word marvel is a positive marveling. He, he was like, wow. And then verse seven, but the angel said to me, why, why do you marvel? Now, listen, this verse should shock you. This verse should jostle you awake. I mean, this is John we're talking about. This is John, the apostle, the one who describes himself as, I'm the guy that Jesus loved. He's just blown away by that. I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. It's not that he didn't, he didn't love the other disciples, but John's just like, I'm so blown away that Jesus loved me. It's that John. John in Jesus' inner circle. And he's marveling at this woman. At first appearances, she doesn't look gross. She's all fancied up. She's looking all fine, right? She's on many waters. People and kings are, are drawn to her. They look at her beauty, her wealth, her opulence, and they say, that looks good. That's the good life. I want that. And they're wooed by her. He's warning the church, be alert of her alluring beauty. He's saying, be careful, because this woman, she'll look smoking hot to you. Even John, right after seeing everything that he's seen, right, in Revelation, after seeing this crazy vision of the seals breaking, right, this picture of Jesus as the lion and the lamb, after hearing the trumpets blast and seeing the terrifying images of God's holy justice and the bowls of wrath, that's what the whole last chapter was about. The whole chapter right before this, after seeing all that, this woman with deadly intentions shows up, and he's like, dang, she looks good. 
And the angel has to rebuke him. The angel's like, why do you marvel? What are you doing? You can almost picture the angel, angel like smacking the backside of his head like, dude, dude, seriously? Look, John, he doesn't look that admirable in this verse. He doesn't look that admirable in this scene, but he records it for us as a warning to tell us, look, this woman, she's a seductress. She's more clever and cunning than you think. She walks up looking all sexy and says, hey, boys, this right here is what you want. This is where you find what you need. This is where you find that comfort. This is where you find that satisfaction. Come sit next to me. And so John warns us, watch out for her. She's prettier than you think. She's more magnetic than you think. You'll feel, you'll live your spiritual life feeling like you, you got it, right? Be like, I got this. You'll feel like you're good with this whole Jesus thing, and then, and then boom, this woman will seduce you. She almost did John. Look at verse 7 again. Read the, and read the rest of verse 7. He says, the angel said to me, why do you marvel? And the angel says, I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. So the angel says, look, John, why are you looking at her with these googly eyes? And then he takes John in and shows him who she really is. He says, hey, man, you, you think you want that? But no, you don't want that. Like, well, let me tell you who she really is. And then he continues in verse 8. He says, the beast that you saw, the beast that you saw was and is and is about, is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. In other words, those who don't belong to Christ, they'll marvel to see the beast because it was and it is not and is to come. This woman, she's controlled by the beast and she's, she's a puppet. She's a puppet of him. John's saying like, hey, you, look, you think this girl's looking all fine, but you know, she's just a puppet of the enemy. He pulls back that Scooby-Doo mask to show the demonic forces working underneath her smoking hot figure. The beast here is a parody of Jesus who is also described as one who was and is and is to come. In other words, this beast, he seeks to replace Jesus as Lord of your life. He's after you. And where he rose from and where he's going to is the pit of destruction. John shows us that this here is just another bait and switch with deadly ramifications. This woman promises comfort, power, wealth, opulence, self-actualization, being the real you. She says, I'll keep you safe. I'll make you happy. She'll say, Jesus can't do that. All he does is take from you. I'll give you what you need. Come over here. But the reality is she can't deliver on any of her promises. She's riding on the beast that's heading to destruction. Look, man, the culture that we find ourselves in is, is what we're reading about today. 
There are all kinds of jacked up interpretations of Revelation that, 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 and, and the scriptures that tell us, you know what the problem is? The problem is out there. The problem is with that nation or with these people. But no, this is happening now, and it's happening all around us. Look, I, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something controversial to like modern American Christians, especially in our little conservative bubble here in Orange County, all right? Our nation is less like the New Jerusalem and the city of God and more like Babylon. You need to understand that. Even in the American church, with the ways that we seek moralism, where we think this Christianity thing is about, how oh, you be a good, respectable person, instead of really knowing and treasuring Christ. With the ways that we'll honor the Lord only in the areas that are comfortable for us and feel like convenient to us. Not to mention the ways that we treat all sorts of injustices against the poor, those who seek refuge, ways that we've treated vulnerable women and unborn children, the way we treat brothers and sisters across the political spectrum. I mean, the list goes on. Mankind is constantly building a city in opposition to God and thinks that he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. That's a big theme all throughout the scriptures. Cain, son of Adam and Eve, he built the city of Enoch. The Tower of Babel that we, we talked about, where Babylon comes from. Uh, Pharaoh, who, 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 who built up Egypt. You eventually had the Empire of Rome, which John and, and his, uh, his colleagues and other first century Christians uh, were, were up against. This is our pool. This is humanity's pool. You and I are not bent naturally towards righteousness. We're not naturally bent towards righteousness. Holiness is a fight. It's a grind. You think, you think that you'll drift towards holiness? You think that's a natural drift? No, this is where we drift. We drift towards the woman and the beast. We say that looks good over there. When you're passive in your Christian life, you drift towards the prostitute's beauty. And he continues in verse 9, he says, this calls for a mind with wisdom. In other words, he's like, look, you got, you got to understand this. You got to be wise about this. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, and the other has yet to come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. And so he's saying, what he's saying is, in some sense, the beast is already a defeated foe, bearing mortally fatal wounds, right? Five of them have fallen, he says. How was that beast defeated? By the cross and resurrection. Already done. Jesus says it is finished. This beast, this woman, already defeated. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to wonder if she's going to be defeated, if this beast is going to be defeated. It's already done. He's defeated, but a six and seven head still remained, which plays into this reality that we've talked about, about how we are living in what theologians call uh, the in-between, between the now and the not yet. 
right? In other words, we are living in a time where Christ has already won. And because he's already won, you and I, we get to reap the benefits of that. We get to know him. We get to be reconciled with God and with one another. We get to have fellowship with strangers. We get to worship the Lord on the Lord's Day like we're doing right now. We get to hear the word and be fed by it, finding our souls nourished like what's happening right now. And so there's a sense in which that victory, that uh, blessing, that, that final uh, restoration is already come now. God's kingdom is already here, but it's also, it's also not yet because we do still sin. And there's things in this world that do still kind of suck sometimes. They're hard. We live between that now and the not yet. And in verse 11 through 13, John says, as for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, uh, but it belongs to the seven. In other words, it's like an eighth head, but it belongs to the seven head. In other words, saying like, this is like a whole package deal, the beast and this woman. And it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. Now, what the heck does that mean? If you remember, we've mentioned before that, that seven is a number of completeness, right? Ten is also a number of completeness, right? Because we've got ten fingers, ten toes, Heads are a symbol of power and authority. Horns are a symbol of strength. And so what he's talking about is how this beast has great power and strength. And this beast with great power and strength is hell-bent in our destruction. Again, he wants us to be alert. He's writing these things to tell us to be alert of Babylon's alluring beauty, to be alert of her influence throughout history. This is not a trifling matter. This leads us to our third thing. This is our third and last thing that I want you to walk away with. I want you to beware of Babylon's self-destructive ways. Number three, beware of Babylon's self-destructive ways. We'll skip one verse. It says in verse 15 that the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and language. Again, in other words, her presence is everywhere, reaches to the ends of the earth. Verse 16, and the 10 horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. So picture this. This woman's on the beast. This prostitute is on the beast, but he says that beast will end up hating the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Now, this right here, these final verses in the chapter should be sobering for us. It should be eye-opening for you. The ten horns of the beast, they turn in on the woman. 
They turn in on and against the prostitute and all who follow her. What does that tell you? It tells you that despite Babylon's beauty and all her promises, she'll be destroyed along with all her citizens. I want you to see here that our enemy is cunning. All right? Don't, don't, don't miss this. You can't, you can't pretend evil away. It's here. It's at work. And he's cunning. Our enemy is cunning. He's good at what he does. His name means deceiver. You'll never find a demonic influence saying, hey, like, how about we destroy your life together? What do you think of that? Right? Let's, let's tear apart your marriage. Let's have pornography ravage your soul. How does that sound? He's not going to say, hey, let's get you believing that you're saved, you know, because like you prayed a prayer once and got baptized, because you pray all the time before meals, because you celebrate Christian holidays that aren't even in the Bible, which, by the way, we're not knocking Christian holidays. We celebrate Christian and Easter here, right? But, but they're not in the Bible, all right? What he's, what he's saying is, is he, he's not going to say, let's have you believing you're saved because you take part in all the th- those things that are cultural but then send you to hell because you don't really know Jesus and you don't really follow him. He's not going to say that. Say like, hey, how does that sound? No, he's smarter than that. He's more cunning than that. It's a bait and switch. Right? You guys know what a bait and switch is, right? It's like you hold something out, right? Like salespeople do this all the time, the worst of them, right? They'd be like, hey, you know, here's what you're getting. And then you sign up, you give me your money, and you're like, oh, it's actually this, right? You ever order something on a menu, and you're like, oh, that looks really good, and they put you the plate in front of you, and you're like, what's that? That's not what I ordered, right? That's, that's a bait and switch. That's how the enemy works. He works with the bait and switch. You're offered comfort and pleasure and ease and autonomy and satisfaction. He says things like, Hey, Jesus, Jesus wouldn't want you to do hard things, would he? I mean, come on, you're too busy for that stuff. You're too tired, it's okay. Time with family and friends are more important than your time with Jesus. He can wait, you can repent later. And if you take the bait, the beast goes, got one. Got one hook, line, and sinker, and he'll reel you in and then turn on you and devour you. Now, I want you to think about what it is that you're chasing after. Let's just just be real with ourselves, right? Like, what is it that we're really chasing after? Money, sex, power, earthly pleasures, comfort, convenience. You think those things will eternally satisfy You think those things are really going to eternally satisfy your soul? It's all BS. But that's his promise. That's his bait. That's his hook. And we keep buying on it because the woman on his back is so beautiful to us. Listen, before you shame yourself in guilt, please know there is grace and healing power in Jesus. Never forget there's grace and healing power in Jesus. Remember, he is gentle and lowly at heart. It's been said it's okay to not be okay in the church, but it's not okay to stay that way. But it's still okay to not be okay, to come as you are, to come with your mess, 
This is why he came for you. This is why Jesus came for you. Jesus said he didn't come for the righteous who got it all together. No, he came for jacked up sinners like me and like you. This beast, or Jesus rather, Jesus, what he wants you to know, what Jesus wants you to know is that the prostitute of Babylon is the dwelling place of demons. Some of us, some of us are getting our butts handed to us because we don't leave space in our spirituality to believe in, in these spiritual realities of, of good and evil. Matt Chandler, pastor in our network, he talks about how we have, when we think of like demons and, and demonic stuff, we have like all these fantastical images of, of demon possessions. And that stuff does happen, but he says that in reality, what it's more like is like a tick on a dog. You don't know it's there, but it's eating away at you. It's laying eggs on you. And then eventually, it'll overcome you and devour you. You know how easy it is to win a fight when the other guy doesn't even know he's fighting? That's what he's talking about. And look, American Western Christianity has us believing that the problem's out there, that the problem is with the other, right? That it's out there and not in here. It could never be in here. Problem's out there. But that has us not fighting principalities and powers that are really at work and that are really trying to destroy us. People out there aren't trying to destroy us, right? Some of us, like, we talk all day long about how the Democrats are trying to destroy us. Dude, you got demons, demonic forces that are actively here right now around you seeking to devour your soul. Wake up, is what he's trying to say. Wake up to that. Stop talking about the people over there when you got a mess in your house right here. If we're serious about the Bible's teachings, then we have to wrestle with that reality. John here, he's seen how beautiful and seductive this woman is. He almost fell for her himself. But he's also seen now, he's also seen how awful she truly is. Revelation is trying to save you from seeing that conclusion on your own. Revelation's trying to get you to not give in. Look, man, I've... I came to faith later in life, right? I was almost 20 years old when I came to saving faith. I've been there. I've, I've bought into that. Sex, parties, like all that. Like that, that was my previous life. I've been there. I bought into all those things, but now I'm out. Born again. God has made me new through Christ. There's others here sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you, who have that same story too. They can tell you that too. And so what, what, what do we do with this? What do we do with this, with this daunting image in Revelation 17? Where is our hope when tempted by these seducing powers of the prostitute and the beast who destroys? The answer we skipped is back in verse 14, where it says that they, speaking of the beast and the woman, they will make war on the lamb who is Jesus and the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. 
This tells us that evil, at the end of the day, evil has no peace. Finding no way to defeat the lamb, evil turns on itself. The alliances of evil last only for a short time. Short time. But the faithfulness of Jesus is forever and true. It is only in Jesus that true power and strength is found. It is only in Jesus that true beauty, lasting beauty is found. It is only in Jesus that true pleasure and peace are found. It is only in Jesus where our rebellion is met with his amazing grace. Because of his life, death on the cross, resurrection from the grave, and his future coming, because of that, the prostitute of Babylon cannot snatch God's children away. Cannot, will not. So instead of celebrating our sin, we just get to surrender it to Jesus. Because we know it's not up to us. It's up to him. It's not about what we have to do. It's about what he's already done. And we get to rest in that. We get to surrender to him because of that. Jesus is the lamb of God, but he's also the shepherd, the good shepherd of God's people. And in the gospel of John, he gave this sweet assurance to his disciples. In John 10, verse 27, 28, he said, my sheep, they hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Amen? This, this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Babylon looks beautiful. She looks fine. She looks alluring. Jesus, Jesus is better. Jesus is truer. And with him, we have eternal life. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.